And we're looking at Mark 13, verses 28, all the way to 37. And this is so practical. I mean, this is so understandable. I mean, on the one hand, we could just read it and say amen. I mean, you don't really even need a sermon on this. It's so clear. But I have a sermon on this. Um, But it's kind of Puritan style, though. I have two short points and then a lot of application at the end and implications for us. So we'll see how we can get through all of that together. Let's pray, and then we'll read it. Father, now as we come to your word, as we read it, as we study it, Lord God, would you, Holy Spirit, the one who has regenerated us and the one who is interceding for us, the one who is sanctifying us, you are keeping us, Holy Spirit, Conform us more to Christ, we pray. Help us, even today, to be longing for the return of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Mark 13, beginning in verse 28. Here's the word of the Lord. Now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. Even so, you too, when you see these things happening, recognize that he is near right at the door. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But of that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Take heed, keep on the alert, for you do not know when the appointed time will come. It is like a man away on a journey who, upon leaving his house and putting his slaves in charge, assigning to each one his task, also commanded the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, in case he should come suddenly and find you asleep. What I say to you, I say to all, be on the alert. There was once a security officer for a high-end estate, a luxury estate, in a beautiful and historic property. For years and years, this particular security officer worked and served. He was faithful and attended to his duties, and he cared for the property in a very, very meticulous way. And then the master was to leave on a lengthy trip. And the master, when he left, assured the officer of his soon return. But he did not reveal the details of exactly when he would return. Well, the security officer kept a very keen lookout, even a keener lookout. He was alert. He was vigilant. He he guarded the property well. He even thwarted a few break-ins. He arrested a few robbers. He uncovered even a number of plots against personnel there. He did his work well. He did his work dutifully. He did his work faithfully. He was a vigilant officer. But as the months... And even the years went on, and even over a period of a lull in his work, kind of a quiet season in his work, it was quiet during the days and during the nights, he began to slack off a little bit at his duty. 
In fact, he would sometimes fall asleep at his third and fourth watch night shift. Sometimes he even slept all the way through, not deliberately, but just lazily and without due vigilance. And this went on for days, and it went on for weeks, even it went on for months. And a few unguarded actions led to unfaithful duties. And unfaithful duties led to unbreakable habits. Until one night, late in the fourth watch, about four o'clock in the morning one day, on a clear winter night, the master returned. Suddenly, when the master returned, he came, he arrived, he opened the door, and he found his top officer sleeping on duty. The officer started well. Laziness crept in. Undisciplined habits were left unchecked. And surely he had thoughts, well, maybe the master wouldn't return today. It wouldn't be found out that I was sleeping on the job. Not today, not today, surely not today, until he did return. And the officer was not ready. How ashamed do you think he felt? How, how unfaithful do you think he felt to his duties? How, how disappointing was he to the, to the master? How excuseless was he? He had no excuses. None at all. And as I think about that little account, I think, I don't want that to be me. And we don't want that to be you as well. As we are waiting for the Lord to return. I think of verse 37, the last verse of the chapter. Do you see it there in your Bible? Jesus said, what I say to you, I say to everyone, be on the alert. Be watchful. Be on the alert. Be vigilant. Be awake. Remember, it's Tuesday night of the Passion Week. Jesus on Sunday rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, triumphantly presenting himself as the king. Friday, he will be hung on a cross. Sunday, he will rise from the dead. But, but it's Tuesday, toward the middle of this Passion Week, the last week of our Savior's life on earth. And in verses 1 and 2, remember we saw the setting of the chapter, that he's on the Mount of Olives. And the disciples are there with him, according to verse 3. And, and they ask him questions about the destruction of the temple and the signs of the end of the age, and the sign of his appearing. And so Jesus tells them in verses 3 all the way to 13 about the beginning of the tribulation, the signs that will come upon the future generation in that final seven-year period. And then we saw the middle of the tribulation with the abomination of desolation in verses 14 to 23. And then last week we saw the end of the tribulation with the great second coming of the Lord in power and glory. But now... Really, in the very next breath, in verse 28, Jesus, as a good preacher, he gives application. It's kind of like, so what? That's great truth about end times doctrine, eschatology, we might call it. So what does that mean for me? We might say with many who affirm that prophecy, when rightly understood, is always practical. It's always practical. Understanding the truth about the end should have a purifying effect upon our lives. 
So today, as we look at the end of Mark 13, I pray that you and I would open our eyes and that we would unstop our ears and that we would soften our hearts and that we would humble our will, that we would engage our mind and sit at the feet of our Master. We want to focus and learn. What does this mean for us? What are the applications of all of this teaching about the end, about the return, the tribulation, the coming of the Lord? So what? What are the applications? And in our text this afternoon, Jesus will provide us two significant lessons. These are not anything new to you. But I trust, maybe like me, we need to be reminded of these. Number one, your Savior is coming. Number two, you must be alert. Very simple. Number one, your Savior is coming. And number two, you must be alert. And let's look at these briefly together. Number one, in your outline, you see there, your Savior is coming. Your Savior is coming, beginning in verse 28 down to verse 32. We must remember, of course, Jesus. Didn't he come the first time, literally, bodily, visibly, historically, genuinely, even miraculously? He did that the first time. We affirm he will come the same way a second time. Not born as a baby, of course, but he will come literally, bodily, visibly, and historically. The coming of Christ is so sure that the Bible talks about it as the coming of Christ with the saints in 1 Thessalonians 3. He will come and he will not delay, Hebrews 10.37. Even Jesus said to the churches, I am coming quickly, he said. I am coming quickly. Three things about the coming you see here in your outline in verses 28 to 32. His coming is near. Number two, his coming is certain. And the coming, the timing that is, is unknown. Notice in verse 28, the coming is near. It's an undelayed coming. Verse 28. Now, Jesus said, I want you to learn the parable from a fig tree. Let's take kind of a modern day, just a, a, an illustration from nature. And let's learn from it. When the branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. Well, that's kind of like a duh illustration for all of the first century Jewish audience at that time. Because in the fall, the fig tree loses its leaves. And then in the springtime, the sap rises in the branches and the tree begins to leaf. And when the fig tree begins to leaf in the late spring, they know that summer is right around the corner. It's like the indicator. It's like, it's like here's the alert. Summer is near. The fig tree leaves are there. It is near. Paul said it in Philippians 4, 5. The Lord is near. James, the brother of our Lord, said it in James 5, verse 8. The coming of the Lord is near. John, in the Revelation, chapter 22, verse 10. The time is near. Verse 29, even so you too, when you see all these things happening, recognize that he is, here's the key word, he's near. Well, what things when you see all these things? It's the things of verses 5 all the way to 27. 
when you see the things of the future tribulation, when you see them occur, you know that he is near. Well, what about the certainty of the coming? In verse 30, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. The coming of the Lord is certain. It is an unfailing coming. Now, you might wonder in verse 30, what does Jesus mean when he says this generation will not pass away? Does it mean that those who are near to Jesus in proximity to him at that time, that generation in the first century? No, the the focus rather is on the proximity of the swiftness of the events that will occur within one generation. So, this generation in verse 30, this generation will not pass away, is referring to the generation of the end times that begins to see all those things unfold. The whole point of Jesus' statement here is that before that generation passes away, all these things are going to happen. The point is, the coming of the Lord is certain. The end will occur within one generation. And that's the point of verse 30. Well, then verse 31. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. What a wonderful verse here. Affirming the truthfulness of God and his word. You see there in your outline a threefold little reminder, a little outline there. Notice the inspiration. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words. The Greek word signifies that which comes from God. It is a spoken communication from God. Jesus said, my words will never pass. It's inspiration. Second, we see the impossibility. His word will never, ever pass. Skeptics have passed. But the word of God will never pass. It is impossible. In fact, it is the strongest Greek negative particle in the entire Greek language. You could almost translate it, my words shall never, ever, ever, no way, pass away. And then, the focus on the indestructibility of the word. They will not pass Away, They will not fade. They will not rust. They will not corrode. They will not need an update. God's word is certain. It is unfailing. It is reliable. What a treasure we have in, in the word of God. And Christian, you know this, but let's honor the word of God with the same degree of honor that we give to our God. To believe it, to read it, to memorize it, to stand upon it, to live by it, to suffer for it, if needed. But but not only is the coming near and the coming certain, but third in your outline here, you see that it's coming or the timing is unknown. It's unknown, and we see that in verse 32, but of that day or hour, nobody knows. Not even the, the angels didn't even know. Not even the Son and His humanity In his humiliation, when he had voluntarily limited himself from his divine attributes with his own independent use of them, 
He didn't even know in his humiliation the time of his coming. But the Father alone knows the day. And you know what? You and I don't know the day. And no author and no blogger and no no radio podcaster knows the day or the hour. But the point of verses 28 to 32 is he's coming and he's returning and it's near. We don't know the day. We don't know the time, but he is coming. We know that he is coming. We just don't know when he is coming. So Christian reminder, number one, your savior is coming. Number two, in your outline, you see here in verses 33 to 37, because your savior is coming, number two, now you must be alert. You must be alert. Now, I know that probably every country around the world has this, but probably nothing is like the Israel Defense Forces. The IDF has hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of soldiers who are right now keeping close watch on Israel's borders using cameras and all kinds of technology day and night for protection, of course. They keep Israel safe. They're vigilant. They're watchful. They're alert. They're attentive. They're on guard. They are on duty and awake. What a fitting example of what we ought to be like as we wait for the coming of our Lord. And I want to show you the theme here. Notice all the commands. Look at verse 33. Jesus begins by saying, take heed. Take heed. And then he says, second of all, keep on the alert. And then did you see in verse 35? Therefore, be on the alert. And then in verse 37 at the end, what I say to you, I say to all, be on the alert. Some English translations at the end of verse 33, take heed and keep on the alert. The King James Version even adds the command to pray as well. We are to be watchful. We are to be alert. We are to be ready and vigilant and attentive. And it's kind of like this. Look at the story in verse 34. This is a very simple illustration. It's like a man going away on a journey who, upon leaving his house and putting his slaves in charge, assigned to each one his task and commanded the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. Therefore, 35, be on the alert, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming. At evening, midnight, when the rooster crows or in the morning, in case he should come suddenly and find you asleep. So a man goes on a journey. But when he leaves the house, though, he gives out duties. He gives out an assignment. And he wants you to be faithful. He wants you to be diligent in doing your assignment that he gives to you. Whatever that assignment might be, whatever the role and the function might be, he wants you to be faithful. So we don't know the time of the coming, but we must be watchful. What does that mean? That means we should always be on the job, working on the job that God has given us to do. Maybe simply in in New Testament language, be faithful to serve the Lord where he's put you. Be faithful to serve the Lord where he's put you. Maybe to use the language of Jonathan Edwards, waste no time. Be ready for the Lord's return. 
Be diligent. Be vigilant. Maximize the use of time because wasted time is lost time. And in verse 36, we read this kind of startling conclusion to the whole illustration. In case the master would come suddenly and he finds you asleep. Christian, I think our job is to be eager for the Lord's coming. I think we are to be prayerful. Prayerful. One of the sanctifying things for me, just this week in studying this passage, I've been much more prayerful about the coming of the Lord. Just because of my own reading and preparation and studying and putting it all together, I've just been more mindful. It's been so helpful to be prayerful in this. We are to be thoughtful and sober-minded regarding the coming of the Lord. Indeed, we are to be constant in our obedience to the Lord. Whatever the task and the role and the function in the body of Christ that God has given to you, serve it and serve faithfully and serve well and serve obediently. Be diligent in the assignment that God has given to you. We could turn to so many scriptures, but I think of 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13. Paul says, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Or just before that, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. What good verses for us. Good reminders that we would be awake and watchful and serving. Romans 13, verses 8 to 12 would be another great passage to meditate on. Or John 15, abiding in the vine. And bearing fruit for him. But but what's the opposite of watching? I mean, if he, he's warning against those who are who are not watchful, who are not vigilant, what does that look like? Well, that looks like spiritual sleepiness, spiritual indifference. We might say spiritual worldliness, spiritual unbelief, spiritual compromise. Spiritual cowardice. Jesus said to the church in Sardis in Revelation chapter 3, wake up repeatedly. Wake up. Wake up. He, he wants his people to be awake. One of my most frequent prayers for myself, for our church, and for the Church of America is God, wake us up. Wake us up. Give us such an eternal mindset as if God would drop us into hell for a minute and then bring us out. And to live like that with an eternal mindset. Not not being distracted by the passing things of this world. Now, as we think about this, we think about the realities that your Savior is coming back and that we must be awake and we must be alert and we must be ready couple of brief reflections on this. Number one, just a simple question. Are, are you here tonight? Everyone, everyone, are you here tonight forgiven of your sins? 
Have you been given an assignment from the master himself? Has he brought you into his kingdom, as it were, into his house, into his palace? And he said, I'm going away. Here's the charge and the task I'm giving to you. Serve it and use it faithfully, not to earn anything. You've already received everything in Christ and the gospel. But have you been forgiven? Are you in the Lord and in the Savior and abiding in him? Second, I think a simple reflection. Are you serving in your church? Are you serving in your church? I had a conversation today on the street with a couple of people. One of them said, yes, I'm, I'm in a good Bible teaching church. The other person who professed to be a Christian said, well, no, I'm not. I'm new to the area. I haven't found a church. And I said, well, I can help you with that. And I gave him our church information. And I said, I'd love to reach out to you and have a coffee and talk more. And Because it's vital to have a gathering of believers. We are the church. The people are the church. To be serving and plugged in and faithfully involved. Third, are you faithful to your Lord? Are you faithful to your Lord? Whatever that task might be, just like David said in the Psalms, I I wish I could be a doorkeeper in the house of my God. Or, Or like in Luke chapter 10, sitting at the feet of the Lord. Or like the priests of old. Maybe not the Levites, but the priests who who are carrying the nails for the tabernacle. That doesn't seem all that flashy and all that exciting. But do it faithfully. And serve the Lord wherever He puts you. And then another reflection forth. Are you studying your Bible? Heaven and earth will pass away. And let it be said, everything in heaven and earth Everything will pass away. Everything. It's all going to pass. But his words will never pass away. Never pass away. So what are some implications for me and for you? Because Jesus has talked about being on your guard for the, the, the tribulation that he has talked about and described. And then the abomination of desolation that they will see. And then the return of Christ. And then being on the alert. So how do we apply that? What, what does that mean for us? A couple of practical implications. Number one, Christian, I want to encourage you to be aware of world events. But don't be anxiously consumed with them. And if you choose to not be aware, that's fine as well. But the point is to not be anxiously consumed. Second, all things are going to pass away. All things are going to pass away. But, but the, the implication for me and for you is to invest deeply and attentively and daily in the words of Christ. To read the word deeply and attentively and daily. There was an article that we put together a number of years ago on, I think it was 10 ways to read the Word of God. How do I read the Bible and profit from it? You know, devotionally, humbly, prayerfully, mindfully, worshipfully, submissively, that, that kind of thing. To, to, to invest in the Word. I think a, a third simple reminder for us, especially with the books that are being published, I just saw one a couple of weeks ago. Remember that no one knows the exact time of the second coming. And when they miss that date, they 
Set another date for it. (laughs) What a mess. No one knows the date of the Lord's return. And so a fourth implication for us then is to faithfully do your God-given task as the slave of Christ while he's absent. We long for that day when we are with our bridegroom. But he's absent. He's going to return for us. He promised it in John 14. I will take you to be with me where I am. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places and so on. But until that time, we must be faithful to do the God-given task that He's given you to do. Serve, pray, disciple, give, encourage, hospitality, whatever it may be. And then fifth, remember this, Christ's return is promised. And not only is it promised, it's near. And it's triumphant. And it's a motivation for godliness. Now I want to leave it at that because I I want to give some more specific maybe pieces of advice as to how you might consider applying this. Because we, we want to hear the Word of God, but as Matthew 7 says, we need to hear the Word and be the wise builder who builds his house upon the rock. Well, what's the rock? It's not Christ. The, the rock is hearing the Word and then doing it. So we want to do the Word of God. We want, to, we want to obey this and follow this and implement it into our lives. So maybe here's a few things that you could try. I mean, just really practical here. Maybe you have a work commute. Maybe it's driving 5, 10, 20, 30 minutes a day. And as you do that, here's some ways that you could be alert and attentive and vigilant as you are looking for the return of the Lord. Consider listening to sermons on heaven and hell, on eternity, on the judgment, on the second coming. Use that time to pray that that very day, as you get out of your car and you begin your work day, you pray, God, help me to work today as if it would be my last day I would ever work. And that I would work today, whatever I do, with all of my might, with diligence, with a proper duty, with a proper attitude, and with a hard work ethic. As if I would die tonight, never to come to work again tomorrow. Or maybe, maybe some of you here exercise and you work out and maybe you're busy in the yard or you're busy gardening. Consider, maybe one thing that could be helpful, taking a truth on end times, on the return of the Lord, And meditating on that truth. Kind of preach it to yourself. Kind of take the truth and come at it from every possible angle. The coming of the Lord. What is it like for believers? What is it like for unbelievers? How would it affect my prayer life? How should I live in light of it today? Are there songs that lead, that that, that remind me of this? And you're meditating and you're thinking and you're pondering on these truths that point you toward eternity and heaven and being ready for the Lord. Or consider your own morning prayer time. Just your own morning prayer time. One way that you could apply and implement this is just to ask the Lord to give you an alert mind. God, I want to be alert today. Give me a watching heart. Not a worldly heart, but a watching heart and a serving will. 
So my mind and my heart and my will are all engaged in looking for the coming of the Lord. And in your own morning prayer time, even just consider perhaps praying that you would live as if this very day were your last. As if today were my last. Or even preparation for Sunday worship. Think about this in a couple of practical ways. Maybe you prepare for Sunday on Saturday morning. Maybe it's Saturday night. Maybe it's Sunday morning for you. Maybe Sunday afternoon. Whatever the case could be. Whenever you prepare, pray as if this might be the last sermon you ever hear. Help me to be attentive, Lord. This is the divine truth, the honey from heaven that God would use to awaken my heart and fill me with the joy of the Lord. Pray for the power in preaching that the teacher and the preacher would preach as a dying man to dying man to dying men as if to never preach again. To pray for power, to pray for attentiveness in listening, to pray that we would be alert and watchful and vigilant because we'll give an account for every sermon that we hear. Uh, Consider as you prepare for Sunday worship to pray for a spiritual awakening. God, let there be no believer among us who's drowsy, spiritually lazy, Uh, spiritually apathetic. God, wake us up. That's a good prayer. That's a biblical prayer for the church. Wake up. Wake up. That's a fitting prayer to pray. The world is awake. We see that in sporting events. So they're awake. We ought to be awake as well for the true and living God. Or maybe consider this by way of application and implication. Maybe you school your kids and you teach them through the the week in family worship or mothers with the kids or grandparents with the grandchildren. Consider having the children memorize Scripture on the second coming. Maybe there's a chapter or a paragraph or something that you want to drill home in their hearts. Have them memorize it. And they'll probably get it down in an hour. Make it a routine, common, frequent conversation to talk about the coming of the Lord. Are we ready? Are you ready? What if today He comes? Are you prepared? When you're in a public venue, a public venue, maybe a stadium, maybe a park, maybe a mall, maybe a grocery store, whatever public venue it could be, take that occasion with all these people around you and just ponder the reality of immortal, undying souls all around you. I mean, all these people made by God are going to heaven or hell. Ponder how people walking by are busy. Stressed out, anxious, worried, distracted with life. And with that, let's pray for a broken heart. Pray for a broken heart that mourns the indifference and the ignorance of so many multitudes. I've been praying those words of David in Psalm 119. My eyes run down with rivers of water. God, work that in me. God, give me that. Give a gospel tract to someone. Engage conversations on being ready for Christ and His return to be urgent. Because the time is near. 
We are to be on the alert. And, and those are just ways that we can think and consider. And you can consider implementing those and maybe your context and your, your way of life. But, but we want to be on the alert. That's the point. To be watchful. To be vigilant in our lives. May the Lord help us to do that. I want to end with just a simple historical anecdote that I think is such a fitting way to conclude this text. Remember in American history in the 1800s, the Pony Express in 1860. This historically famous mail service between St. Joseph, Missouri and all the way out west to California. And, but, but it depended on the constant movement and the readiness because relay stations were established about every 10 or 15 miles or so from Missouri all the way out to California. And so as a rider on the horse carrying the mail, carrying the packages, as he would approach a station, the rider would shout aloud. He would shout aloud, giving the station master very short notice, but giving him a notice that they needed to be outside with a fresh mount. Time is short. You need to be ready. Have a fresh mount ready. And so when a rider came to the station, maybe even where he was to spend the night, another rider would already be mounted on his horse. He would be waiting and ready to grab the rider's bundle of packages and continue the trip to the next station. What an example of what it is to be Alert, ready, waiting, watchful, prepared. May the Lord help us to do that. Father, thank you for the time around your word. Precious truths and needed verses. We thank you, Lord, that even though heaven and earth will pass away, Lord Jesus, we we thank you for your majestic, clear, true, eternal word that will never, ever pass away. Help us to be ready. In Jesus' name, amen.